pray with me, Father, as we continue in your presence? We are so thankful that you chose to reveal yourself to us. And you showed us what love is by sending your one and only son, Jesus, who willingly came to this earth and laid down his life for us so that we could be brought into a relationship with you that should change everything about us and last forever. God, in the, in the, the moments that we walk through the valleys, we know that you are there. And what a great comfort that is to us. And as we prepare to spend a few minutes in your word this morning, I, I pray that you would, you would meet us where we are that you would teach us, challenge us, comfort us, encourage us through the work of your Holy Spirit. Because God, we recognize our dependence upon you. Without you, we are lost, but with you in our lives, there's hope. So again, Father, I pray that you would speak to us, speak through me. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I was up here earlier, I didn't necessarily introduce myself, and so I know we've got some guests who are with us today, so if I didn't get a chance to meet you, um, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table, and I know we do have some um, folks that are new with us today, and so we are excited that you have chosen to spend part of your Mother's Day with us, um, and so we'd love to connect with you, and the easiest way to do that is for you to text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668, it's the number on the screen, or it is on the sticker on the seat back um, somewhere close into, uh, in front of you. And so when you text welcome, you'll receive back a digital connection card. That way we can begin to build a relationship with you. We're not going to do anything weird. You'll get an email from me um, tomorrow, probably a text message later this week. We just want to find out how we could minister to you and, and serve you and your family. And if you do have any questions about the church or anything that you hear um, in the service this morning, uh, Head back to our connection area, which so you go out the doors, head to the right. As soon as I'm finished this morning, I'll make my way out there. So I'll be out there. I would love to um, have a chance to, to introduce myself to you, to meet you. And again, if you have any questions about anything, um, let us know. We want to. Uh, we are here to serve you. you know, today is it's obviously Mother's Day, um, but the focus of our message this morning is not. It's not for moms necessarily. It's not on moms, but in light of what we're actually going to talk about. I was thinking about some of the, <clears throat> the women who have had a profound influence on my faith development. I've had lots of um, guys that have been mentors and um, examples to me, but you know, today's Mother's Day, so I was thinking about the women that God has used to, to make a difference in my life. And certainly first, I mean, I would think about the influence of my mom. My mom has probably influenced my life in ways that I will never understand as she began praying for me before I was ever born. And I'm so thankful that it was my mom who was able to pray with me on that Monday night when I was seven years old, making sure that I understood what it meant to trust Jesus as my Savior. Think about my, my grandmothers and the care and nurturing that they gave me uh, throughout my entire life, the, the encouragement that they gave to me. And, and my, I'm blessed to still have one grandmother that is still alive and still the same thing. I also think about a lot of the, the ladies who served faithfully in the churches that I was a part of all the way um, back to the time that I was a young child. I think about Miss Elsie. Miss Elsie was one of my grandmother's 
best friends, but she is the first Sunday school teacher that I really remember. She was my Sunday school teacher when I was three years old. I think about Mrs. Dykes. Mrs. Dykes was my third grade Sunday school teacher. When I had Mrs. Dykes as a Sunday school teacher, she was 900 years old. And honestly, that's only a slight exaggeration. But Mrs. Dykes made sure that I learned all of the books of the Bible in order and could recite them. But the thing that I will remember most about Mrs. Dykes is that she read the Bible cover to cover every single year. And so by the time that I had her as a Sunday school teacher, probably 20, 30 times at that point, she loved the Word of God. And as she taught our little small Sunday school class that met in a closet in the church, literally, we met in a closet, she instilled in us a love for God's Word. And so I, I've just been privileged to be able to look back over my life and think about all these different people, women, men, all of these people who have invested in me, influenced my faith to help make sure that my faith moved forward. And, and I'm so thankful that we have some folks in our church that are doing the same thing for others. People who are serving faithfully this morning over in our kids' ministry, those that serve faithfully on Wednesday nights with our students, investing in the next generation, making sure that their faith moves forward. And I wonder for you if you can look back on some of the influences in your life and celebrate those people who invested in you and helped your faith grow and develop. Maybe you're like me and you look back at maybe it was your mom or your grandmother. Maybe it was a friend's mom. There's somebody that you look back at and that's the person who planted that seed of faith in your life or that's the person who nurtured and developed your faith. I want to challenge us with that this morning because I think we need more of those kinds of people. We need more people who are uh, very invested, not only in their own spiritual growth and development, but also in the spiritual growth and development of other people. So this morning we are continuing our series called Not Done Yet. We're looking at the first couple of chapters in the book of Philippians. And so if you were with us last week, you know, Melissa shared with us um, from towards the end of uh, chapter 1, did a great job, but there was something in the section that she talked about last week that really stuck out to me. It's actually in verse 23. And I want to point this out. It's not on the slides. We'll get, actually get to the passage that we're looking at this morning in a second. But here's what Paul says. He says, I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And so as Paul is writing, he, he finds himself conflicted. Because you can like read in between the lines a little bit, you can tell he is frustrated by living life in a fallen world. And he's ready to be done with all of the mess that we have to go through. But as he thinks about it, he recognizes that there is benefit. It's better for him to go depart, to be with Jesus, to be out of the mess of this world. But he recognizes that there is benefits for him staying on earth and continuing to minister to people like the Philippians. Because he recognized something. He recognized that God wasn't done yet. And so he needed to continue to encourage, continue to teach. And he was willing to do that as long as God had him do that. So this morning, we're going to continue on with the, the next section in the book from where we ended up last week, and we're going to look at verses 27 through 30. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me, Philippians chapter 1, 
verses 27 through 30. So the way to find Philippians, get past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the stories about Jesus, Acts, the story of the early church. And we get into Paul's letters, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And then you find the book of Philippians and Mrs. Dykes, her lessons still work on me. So I've still got, got it down that far. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. If you, it's going to be on the screen, or if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, um, feel free to navigate to our live event and follow along there. Philippians 1, starting in verse 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending, contending together for the faith of the gospel not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. The question that we want to tackle this morning is, how does faith move forward? And when I say that, I mean how does our faith as individuals move forward? How do we grow in our faith? But then also at the same time, how does faith in general move forward? So how does our Christian faith go out, reach more people? And so we're going to be talking both this morning about how God works in us and also how God works through us. So how does faith move forward? I'll give you three things. The first, faith moves forward as we seek to live as worthy citizens of heaven. This is the first thing that the Apostle Paul writes in this section, verse 27. He says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The citizenship language that Paul is using here, he's actually picking up on something that was true about the Philippians, and he kind of makes a play on that a little bit. See, the Philippians were citizens of Rome. They had Roman citizenship, and they were really proud of their Roman citizenship. In fact, this is something that set them apart from other people in the region. Because in the region of what we would look at, the places that show up in the Bible in the New Testament, kind of Asia Minor and then in through Greece, not everybody was a Roman citizen. All under Roman rule, but not necessarily Roman citizens. And so Rome actually granted citizenship to the people of Philippi, the residents of Philippi. And so they were really proud of their citizenship. They enjoyed the rights and privileges of being a citizen of Rome. They understood what it was to be a citizen of Rome, but they needed to understand what it meant to be a citizen of heaven. Because when they came to faith in Christ, there was a transfer of citizenship. So they knew how to be citizens of Rome in the world. They needed to learn how to be citizens of heaven in Rome. And so if we want our faith to move forward, again, this is true for what God wants to do in us, but then also what God wants to do through us. We need to seek to live as worthy citizens. Like the Philippians, we know what it means to be good citizens, citizens of the United States. We know what that means. It's the famous Lee Greenwood song, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. It just seems like such an odd line when you actually stop and think about those lyrics. At least I know I'm free. So what that means for us is that to be Americans, we have rights and freedoms that no one can take away. So we know what it means to live as a citizen of the United States of America in the world, 
we need to make sure that we're living as citizens of heaven in the United States. So what does that mean? What does it mean to live as worthy citizens? A couple of things to consider. Number one, it means living a changed life. Paul says that we should seek to live as worthy citizens, worthy of the gospel. And what that means is that we have embraced the truth of the gospel and it has changed our lives. So our mission at the table is we exist to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I often, and I, I did it this morning in the prayer, our salvation is about being brought into a relationship with God that should change everything about us and last forever. We often talk about how as followers of Jesus, our lives should be different. But I wonder if, we've, if you've ever really stopped to consider what that really means and what those differences truly look like. You might think, well, it probably means that we live according to a different set of moral standards. And I think there is something to that. We certainly have a, a different set of moral standards that comes from the character of God that we're supposed to live according to, but yet at the same time, while that is true, we have a different moral set of moral standards. I don't know that that's actually the difference that Paul is pointing towards here in this passage. Because we'll actually get into this next week when we get into the beginning of chapter 2. The thing that Paul is pointing at is the, the difference that should be made in our lives is that we no longer live self-centered lives. Jesus, when he was on earth, see, in our sinful nature, we want life to be all about me, but Jesus said, if you want to find life, you've got to lose it. See, naturally, in my own sinfulness, I want life to be centered on me. I I want you to affirm me. I I want my work to make me feel good. I want my wife to love me. I want my kids to listen to me. I want life to be about me. But Jesus came to turn the world upside down, and he said, listen, here's what life is all about. If you want to find life, if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. And the Apostle Paul, in the beginning of chapter 2, is what we're going to look at next week. He says, don't just think about your own interest, but put the needs of others first. So part of living as a worthy citizen, worthy of the gospel, is embracing the truth of the gospel, that it should change the way that we live so that life is no longer centered on me, but it is others-focused. Now here's the problem, though. Because of our sinfulness, because of our selfish nature, sometimes we get stuck thinking that life should be about me. Apart from Jesus, we want life to be all about us. It's a me-centered life, but sometimes, because it's so natural to us, even after we come to faith in Christ, we can still maintain that same mindset. Just think about some of the language that we use sometimes. Well, I have trusted Jesus as my personal Savior, and because of my faith in Jesus, that means I get to go to heaven when I die very me-centered. Sometimes we can get stuck thinking about the church. Well, the church is supposed to do everything that it can do to ensure that my faith grows and develops. Listen, I want you to know, we want to do everything that we can to make sure that your faith is growing and developing, but yet at the same time, for your faith to grow and develop over a long period of time, you have to make the shift and say, it's not about me anymore, but now it's how I can begin to invest in other people. So if we want our faith to move forward, again, both 
inside in, in terms of what God wants to do in us, but then also what God wants to do through us. We have to live as worthy citizens. It's living a changed life. The second thing that that is a part of is growing in Christ-like character. Now, that can be really intimidating to think, okay, we have to pattern our lives after Jesus. We read through the Gospels. We see Jesus doing all kinds of things, and we think, where do I even go? But it doesn't have to be as complicated as it sounds. Because living out our faith, living as a follower of Jesus, it's not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Because Jesus said all the law and the prophets rest on two things. Love God love people. So if you're doing those two things well, you are doing everything that God wants you to do. Love God and love people. And so we see this lived out in Jesus's life. We see his obedience to the Father, his connection with the Father. We see the way that he loved people. He had compassion on those in the margins, was known as a friend of sinners, ministered to the hurting. And so our growth, living as citizens, we are to pattern ourselves after the one who is in charge of the kingdom, the king, and we seek to live like him with all that we have. Third thing about living as a worthy citizen, what it means is that we lean in to learn more. Lean in to learn more. Now, I will be the first to tell you that just knowledge does not equal growth. So just because you know a lot of things doesn't mean that you're actually living according to those things that you know. Like you can know all of the laws in a certain city, but if you're not obeying those laws, then you're not a good citizen. At the same time, though, on the other end of that, if you know nothing about the place that you live, you're likely not going to be a good citizen. That's why we've got to lean in and learn more. But one of the problems that I observe in the lives of people is that we get satisfied to learn out of necessity. What I mean by that is we face a problem, we look for the solution. And once we find that solution, we think, well, we're good. Well, then another problem comes, and when that problem comes, we look for the solution to that problem. And so that's kind of the pattern over and over again. It's just, when there's a problem, I'll find the solution. But at some point, I want to say, should we not learn how to avoid the problem so that we don't have them anymore? The only way to do that is to lean in consistently. It's learning regularly. It's being in God's Word on a daily basis, letting God's Word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, change our lives. It's finding that circle of people that you gather around because that's where you're going to learn to understand and apply Scripture in the right way, in community with other people. Lean in and learn more. So the first thing that we have to do if the, our faith is going to move forward, and again, that's in us and then through us, is we have to seek to live as worthy citizens, worthy of the gospel. The second thing that we have to do is know who our enemies really are. Paul says this, he says, Whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. I'm going to take some stuff out of order in in terms of what Paul says. I'm, I'm doing it for a reason. I think you'll understand it. But he says here, don't be frightened by your opponents. For the Philippians, their enemies were readily apparent to them. 
They were living in a society that was built on Greek culture. And so Christianity was, it was, it stood against this Greek culture. And so they, the Philippians, they faced persecution and marginalization in their community. But then it wasn't just people on the outside of the faith. There were people who were coming from inside the faith. These are people known as Judaizers who were coming into the church claiming to be followers of Jesus, saying, listen, if you want to be a really good follower of Jesus, you have to follow all the right rules in all the right way. You really kind of have to be Jewish before you can be a Christian. And if you're not that, then you're not really one. And so these enemies, they knew who they were. Paul says, listen, don't be afraid of them. So for our faith to move forward, we have to understand who our enemies really are. And in light of what Paul says here, in light of the enemies that the Philippians were facing, it would be really easy for us to fall into a trap, I think, of looking outside and beginning to think, well, we are just like they were Our culture is really bad. The world is really bad. The world is against us, and we can identify all of these enemies on the outside. But here's the problem. I don't believe that any of those things that we might identify actually keep our faith from moving forward. Now, individually, it might be hard sometimes. Maybe you feel marginalized in your own family, or maybe there are challenges that you face at work and things like that. But really, when it comes down to it, those external enemies that we could identify, I don't think they actually keep us from moving forward in our faith. Because I think the enemy uses much more subtle techniques for us. We have to understand what the enemies are that could potentially holding us back from taking those next steps in our own faith. I'm going to give you four. First is apathy. Apathy says it doesn't matter. It's apathy that causes you to think, well, I don't need to lean in. I don't need to seek to see God bring about the the character changes in my life that he wants to do. I don't need to embrace those things because it doesn't matter. Life is the way that it is. We're always going to face things. As long as I go to heaven when I die, nothing else really matters. And I'll just be honest, that is a terrible view of faith. God has far more for us than just that. But so often we can get stuck there, thinking like it is what it is. It'll never get any better. And we let that apathy set in, and it holds us back. But it is leaning in that we begin to learn more and embrace the changes. And it's then that we find the life that God has offered to us. Because Jesus said, I have come that they might have life abundantly. But apathy is one of the enemies that we can face. Second enemy that we might face is intimidation. So intimidation says, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't even know how to get started. I know where I'm at. I know maybe where I think I ought to be, and there's no way that I can get there from here. I just can't, so why should I even start? This is an enemy that If you came to faith later in life, maybe from apart from a a church background, like you're going to experience, you're going to think, man, there's just so much to learn, so much to understand. Like I'll never get there. But if that's where you're at today, let me just encourage you. You can get there. You can do it. Don't let that enemy of intimidation hold you back. And I don't mean to minimalize this at all, but I'm going to use this illustration. 
I remember the first time that I went to Chipotle. I mean, at this point, it's probably over 20 years ago. This is back when you read the sign and you're like, I'm going to Chipotle, because nobody even knew how to pronounce the name on the sign. So many years ago, a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, let's go, let's go to lunch. There's this new place. I think we went to the one that's down on Bryant Irvin. There's this new place. It's really cool. You're going to love it. I've been there a couple times, man. It's great. And so I walk into Chipotle for the very first time. And I'm just absolutely overwhelmed. I mean, if you remember what it was like going into Chipotle for the first time, you're like, this is a different universe there. They've got all this stuff. And here's, here was my problem that I faced. There's two, two real things. Number one, I don't love choices. Like, I don't like to make my own thing. I want a chef, even if it's like in a corporate office somewhere, to be like, here is how you are supposed to eat this. These are the ingredients that go together well. This is the way it's supposed to work. The other thing, this is, this is uh, I'm just kind of revealing some stuff to you this morning. Like, I'm super cheap, too. And so you walk into Chipotle, you see this list of ingredients on a board, and there's this, all this stuff in front of you, and you're like, like is all of it like one price? How, what is extra? How much is, like, you, it's, you don't, the first time, you have no idea. Well, you know what? After 20 years, I'm relatively confident at ordering a Chipotle. I've figured out what I like, and I know what costs extra, and how not to get extra costs, and all that kind of stuff. I get it. Sometimes church can be really intimidating. You're like, what is that about? The book of Exodus, I don't even know. Like, I don't know any of that stuff. But listen, the more that you lean in, the more that you'll begin to learn, and eventually you'll get it. And we want to do everything that we can to never take for granted that you know something that you don't. We want to always put you in environments where it's okay to not know something. Where We'll do everything, I can't guarantee it, but we'll do everything that we can to make you not feel bad that you don't know an answer. Because we want you to ask questions. We want you to learn. Because when you learn, that's when you begin to grow. Got to make sure that we know who the enemies are. I'll give you two other ones really quickly. We can face apathy, intimidation. We also face this, the enemy of disappointment. Disappointment is what happens when the good thing that we want doesn't come. So disappointment is like I'm just sure God is going to do something, and for whatever reason it doesn't happen. You can become disappointed. Last enemy that we might face is discouragement. Similar to disappointment, it's kind of the opposite of it. Discouragement is when the bad thing that we want to avoid at all costs, when that does happen. And dis- disappointment and discouragement, those can be, I mean, they can be incredibly defeating in our lives. When we face those things, that's the, that, those are the two things, probably more than anything else, that derail people's growth in their faith. And we could talk about those things for a long time this morning. We could talk about why they're so significant. We just don't have time to do that because what I'd rather do is tell you how to get past those enemies. And we get past those enemies is the third thing. So we seek to live as worthy citizens. Our faith moves forward. We live as worthy citizens. We know, know who our enemies are, and then we fight together. Again, notice this. He says, whether I come or I'm absent from you, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. If we want our faith to move forward, we have to fight together. 
I love the, the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament that tells the story of the rebuilding of the wall of the city of Jerusalem. It, it's really not so much about the rebuilding of the wall of the city as much as it is about rebuilding hope in people. At this point in history, the nation of Israel was no more. Jerusalem was its capital, but it had been taken over by the Babylonian Empire. When the Babylonians came in, they resettled most of the residents of the city of Jerusalem into other parts of the empire. They did that so that they, they thought that there would be less likely that they would revolt at some point in the future if they were living abroad. Over time, some people had been allowed to go back to the city. And then God called Nehemiah and told him to go back to rebuild the wall. And he was able to accomplish what most people, like on the, on the front end of that, would, would have thought it was impossible, because Nehemiah wasn't working with expert builders. These were just normal people and priests. Like, they were like people like me, like pastors. Like, you would never, like, make, make somebody like that do manual labor. Um, it's okay. You guys can laugh. Um, but they were able to do it. And as the rebuilding of the wall started, people from the other city-states in the region, the leaders of those other city-states, weren't really happy with what was happening because a stronger Jerusalem meant a weaker them. That's at least what they thought in their mind. And so they started doing some things to try to hinder the rebuilding of the wall. And so they started out by, honestly, they were just making fun of the Israelites as they were doing this. Oh man, you're like, your wall's so weak, a fox is going to run across the top of it, and it's just going to fall down. But the people kept rebuilding the wall. And so when those uh, threats didn't work, they increased um, in intensity a little bit and got to the point where they were like, it, I mean, it was physical threats, threats of violence against the people. And those who were rebuilding the wall of the city of Jerusalem, they got afraid. So Nehemiah was a really good leader, and so he gathered all the people together and said, hey, he developed a plan and said, here's what we're going to do. From now on, only half the people are going to work. And the other half of the people are going to stand guard with a spear in one hand and a shield in another. So half the people are going to work and half the people are going to stand by. Don't be afraid. Keep rebuilding the wall. As we finish this morning, here's the challenge that I have for you. Who's holding the spear for you? If we try to do this journey of faith alone, here's what's going to happen. One of the enemies is going to overtake us. Apathy sets in and we think, man, it just doesn't matter. Or maybe we just get so intimidated, like we don't even know what to do. We try to read our Bibles, whatever it is, and we just feel like we can't. We don't know enough to even do it, so we stop. Or disappointment and discouragement comes in, and that derails our faith. But if we want faith to move forward, again, this is what God wants to do in us as he continues to develop us, and then what God wants to do through us, we have to do it together. That's why you've heard over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about finding your circle, getting connected, because we cannot do this faith journey alone. We have to do it together with others. And so if you want, to, want help in finding a place to get connected, a group to find, if you want to know the things that we offer to help develop faith, like come see us after the service. Go to that uh, connection area. We want to help you get connected. We don't want you to go through faith alone. Because the only way that faith moves forward, in terms of what God wants to do in us, but then as 
in terms of what God wants to do through us as we see all of these new homes going up around us. People are going to be moving in. How do we reach those people? We do it together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks for the words of the Apostle Paul who challenge us to live as citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel, embracing the life-changing reality of the truth of Jesus. And I pray that that would be evident in how we live. God, that we would never be derailed by the enemies that could so easily take us down, but that we would be surrounded by people who are holding a spear and a shield for us so that faith moves forward. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We're never alone. Thank you for the love that you continue to lavish on us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.